What up, Excel? Hey, real quick, uh, just a couple of announcements. Make sure that everyone is on the same page. Uh, if you didn't notice, last week, small groups are already kicked off and going. And uh, how many came last week to small groups? How many in this room? Good stuff. Hey, listen, we want to encourage you. Make sure that you make it a priority. Get it a part of your regular schedule, especially before school starts. This is one of those things that you want to make sure that you get locked in. Don't allow everything else in school to take priority over what God has put in your life. Listen to me. It is more important for you to get into heaven than to get into Harvard. And so we want to encourage you. Keep pushing in. These are some important times of your life. We want to encourage you to be here, obviously, on a Thursday night, but also be here with us on a Friday night. Because Thursday is where you listen to me. Friday is where we listen to you. And so we want to encourage you, be here, be a part of that. Amen? Amen. Awesome. So uh, that's uh, one announcement. The other one is um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be kicking off registration for this year's Momentum, which is our youth convention. For those of you who have never been, let me just really quick explain what that is. Uh, every year in November, uh, we gather together with all the other youth groups in the state of Illinois. We go to Springfield for a couple of days, just an overnighter. And uh, we all have like what we do here at Excel with about 3,000 other people. And so it's awesome. There's a ton of people. I'm really excited about uh, the guest speakers this year, uh, not to mention the acts. I think we have Social Club is going to be there. And another act that was at camp is going to be there. And But for me... Uh, we have a guy by the name of Michael Mack. He's awesome. But we also have uh, a friend of the church in Maria Durso who's going to be speaking at camp. If y'all ain't heard her, uh, bro, this lady on a whole nother level. And so this is one of those things you do not want to miss. Make sure that you are a part of it. So registration opens next week. I believe it's $99 early bird registration. That covers bus, a hotel, and registration of the place. And so uh, we want to make sure, please make it a priority for yourselves it's November 15 and 16, so you got a few months to get everything situated to make sure you have planned. And hey, listen, you get to not or you get to miss school on Friday, and so we leave Friday morning. We come back Saturday night. Sounds good? Okay, it didn't sound great, but it sounds good. Um, we are uh, getting ready to wrap up our series on Christianese. Let's see how much you guys have been paying attention. Anyone remember what the first Christianese word was that we talked about? Devo, oh, look at you, sharp. This section right here, this is the one that knows it. All right, so we talked about devos, right? Devoted time to God, making sure that you're taking time every day to do your devotionals. The next week, what are we talking about? Anyone remember? Fellowship, right? So fellowship is a nice churchy word that means just simply a group of people coming together with the common goal. Our common goal is growing closer to Christ. And so that's why we do small groups, to have fellowship with each other, to grow in our relationship with God. Last week, what was the word? Holiness. Awesome. Holiness simply means set apart. So God said, be holy for I am holy, right? And so this idea of being set apart, of being different in a world that's calling us all to be the same. And tonight's word, uh, if we can have it up there, is the word grace. Grace. We just sang about grace, right? We talked about amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Well, grace uh, may be defined as the unmerited or undeserving favor of God. Those who are under condemnation. So for those who are condemned, who deserve the worst, God shows you undeserving and unmerited favor. Now let me give that a, a little bit of a breakdown on why we wanted to talk about this tonight. We live in a, in a generation and in a culture where there are expectations and where we feel like we deserve certain things. And so uh, again, because it's the normal, we think it's the deserve. So a lot of you think, well, I deserve to have an education, right? But there's plenty in the world who don't get that. You even take it a step further, there's a lot of people saying, hey, well, listen, I deserve free college, but you suck at free high school. So I don't know why you think free college is going to be better for you, okay? Uh, we have this idea that, you, you, hey, listen, I deserve a new pair of shoes. No, you do not. I remember when I was a kid, I tried to rip up my shoes a little bit. Not too much, but I tried to rip them up enough to where I can get my new pair of shoes. I just walked around with some holes in my shoes. My dad was like, nope. I got shoes once a year. You know how much that messed me up? I still, like, buy myself a new pair of shoes once a year. I'm like, no, it's, it's not even been a year yet, babe. I can't because my dad's going to yell at me. Like, there's still that part of me that's afraid. Why? Because we get into this mode. Some of y'all, like, it get a little smudged. Like, ma, I need a new pair of shoes. Why? Because you feel like you deserve it. You don't deserve anything. 
Some of us feel like, hey, I deserve an allowance. No, you don't. You get fed every day. Allowance. Bam, you're done. Right? Some of you are like, well, I deserve my privacy. No, you do not. You don't even pay rent. You don't pay a mortgage. That's not your room. That's not your door. I don't know why we feel. But again, we've kind of been brought up to think that we deserve certain things when we don't. And the problem is we take that mentality and we bring it into our relationship with God. And we go, God, well, I deserve to, to have the good things in life. Why? Because I did X, Y, and Z. So, you know, I came to church. So because I come to church, God, I deserve a comfortable life. So bad things shouldn't happen to me because I'm a Christian. I deserve good things to happen to me. And we have this mentality of, of God owes us because we've earned it or we deserve it. And here's the truth. God doesn't give you what you deserve. God doesn't give you what you've earned. And that is a good thing. Too often we, we want a fair God. Like, man, how, God, that's not fair. How come this guy gets blessed and I don't get blessed? How come... So-and-so gets to do this, and I don't get to do it. Why is God good to them and not good to me? And we look at fairness, but God's not fair. Because here's the problem. If you had a fair God, and you had a God that gave you what you deserved, you would have to receive everything you deserve. So what does that mean? That means you deserve to be punished every time you mess up. That means a bolt of lightning should come down and strike you every time you think lustfully. That means you should get a slap across the face every time you talk back to somebody. That means God should punish you with disease and illness every time something steps out of line. Because we are sinful and we sin every day. The Bible says that our sin causes us to deserve death. So we don't want what we deserve. But praise God, he gives us not what we deserve. So let me kind of give you a, a better explanation to this because there's a few verses in the Bible that's going to kind of encompass what that means. And so if you have your Bibles, look at the book of Romans. And we're going to read Romans chapter 5. And it's, a, it's some long verses, but I'm going to pause periodically and help explain some of it. Romans chapter 5, we're going to read verses 12 through 21. 12 through 21, so about nine verses. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, when Adam sinned, Sin entered into the world. So he's talking about Adam and Eve, the first man. So when he sinned, sin entered into the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. So Adam is patient zero, the first zombie, the first death. And because of him, that's now spread through his offspring because all of us have sinned. He was the first one, and the door opened up for all of us then to sin. Verse 13 goes on to say, Yes, people sin even before the law was given. So when he talks about the law, when you read the Bible in the Old Testament, the Jewish people lived according to these set of rules. But these set of rules came in the days of Moses. There was people long before the days of Moses. And so he's saying, listen, you sinned even before you knew the rules. Even before the rules were written, you were already sinning. Yes, people sinned even before law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was no law yet to break. And so they weren't holding it against you like that. Verse 14 goes on to say, still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who has yet to come. So they call him the first man. He's kind of like a Christ-like figure. Verse 15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. So a lot of us, just pause there for a second, a lot of us think, well, it's unfair that I am being punished because of Adam's sin. It's unfair that because Adam's sin, I have to be born into sin. How is that my fault? God, that's your fault. That's not fair. But remember, we talked about it. it's not about fairness. And just to prove that it's not about fairness, sin entered into the world through one man named Adam. But because of God's wonderful grace, salvation or forgiveness of that sin comes through one man in Jesus Christ. So the same way it was broke, it got fixed. Verse 16 says this, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. 
but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. And so that's the difference, right? Adam received what he deserved. He sinned. He deserved punishment. The difference between Adam's gift and God's gift is that you're getting what you don't deserve. Because of Adam, we got what we deserve. Because of Jesus, we're made white with God even though we don't deserve it. We are guilty of sin. Every one of us in this room has messed up. Nobody in here is perfect. The Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God. So think about it like this. You might be at the top of the mountain. I might be at the valley. But we all fall short of the stars. Right? No one's in space. And so just because you're a little higher than me doesn't mean any of us have made it. And so he goes on to say in verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Okay, so again, we're not getting what we deserve. We get what we don't deserve, which is that, that love and that uh, freedom from the consequences of our sin. Verse 19. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God many will be made righteous. So on that first tree, Adam sinned. But on that second tree, Christ hung on it and was able to be obedient even unto death. And his death paid the price for our sin. Does that make sense? Verse 20. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So here's the deal. The reason God put the law into play, it was a measuring stick. It was in order to tell you. So, for example, you might have a fever, right? You might feel like my head is hot, I'm achy. The thermometer measures your fever and gives you a number to tell you how bad of a fever you got. Okay, it didn't give you the fever, it just measures it. The law, the rules measure it and show you how sick you really are. It doesn't make you sick, but it shows you how sick you really are. Okay, and as people sin more and more, as you realize how sick I really am, then you realize how big God's gift really is. That I was at the point of death. I had 104 fever. I was dying. I was there. And so I am that much more grateful for the medicine that healed me. Does that make sense? Verse 21, so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so what is that saying? Sin came in and ruled over many. Now God's wonderful grace, that undeserved favor that God gives you, rules instead of that. Giving us an opportunity to stand in a right relationship with God, which also gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ. There is not one of you in this room who deserves to worship God. There's not one of you in this room who deserves to have a relationship. Think about this. We don't deserve the ability to pray and talk to God. And yet God and his grace gave us that opportunity. And we still don't use it. Why? We took it for granted. I'm just tired. I don't have time. You get to talk. To the Lord of the universe. You get to talk to the creator of all things. And your excuse is, I don't know how to do it. And God's saying, listen, uh, my grace is the only reason you get to do that. The fact that I allow you to speak to me is a big deal. The fact that I allow you to have a relationship with me should be a big deal. And the Bible tells us the only reason you understand how powerful grace is is when you understand how jacked up you are. When you understand how deserving you are. That's why the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. <laughs> Those who look at themselves and understand, I'm not worthy. But he opposes the proud. Those who think they got it all together and they don't need anything. That word oppose means wages war against. God hates those that are prideful. But those who understand, God, I'm nothing in your eyes. There's no reason that I should even stand before you. There's no reason I should have a microphone and be able to talk to anyone on your behalf. But it is by your grace, God, that you have given me this opportunity. 
The more you understand your own sinfulness, the greater you understand his gracious acts. Does that make sense? So I want to talk to you tonight about a few aspects of grace. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. How do we receive grace? What does it look like to receive grace? See, because grace is something that God offers, but you have to be willing to walk through grace. You have to be willing to, to have that grace. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved. The only reason any of us have salvation is because of God's grace. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Okay, leave that verse up there. Let me break that down for you. What is he saying? The primary reason why you and I have a personal relationship with Jesus is because of his grace, undeserving favor on your life. Right? It is through faith. A lot of us wrongly think that because, well, hey, I believe in God, that doesn't mean anything. Okay? Your faith is not equal to your salvation. Just because you believe there's a God doesn't mean you're saved by that God. Okay? And there's a lot of people, right, go to church, I believe in God. The Bible says even the demons know there's a God and shudder at his name. So what makes you any different? So faith in and of itself is not enough. Okay, so let me give you this illustration, okay. You need to have faith in Jesus in order to be saved. But if I can give you a, a picture of it. Imagine a door, okay. So I got this door here. I have to walk through that door in order to receive my salvation, my relationship with God. So the door is faith. That's how we believe that there even is a God. That's how we know that Jesus Christ is coming in our life. Those who believe in Jesus Christ and are called according to his purpose. So I have to walk through faith to receive that gift, okay? Does that make sense? But grace is what unlocks the door for me to go through. That door is locked to anyone who has not received the grace of God to walk through it. So some of us think, well, I believe, but that door is locked. It is because Jesus Christ came with the key and opened the door for you. He unlocked it so that now you can open it and walk through it. So some of us just think, you ever, you ever been to like the suburbs and people don't lock their doors and you're like, yo, y'all are crazy. You ever done that? Like you go to like a suburb or a small town and you go to their car, you're waiting for them to unlock it and they're like, it's open. You're like, you left your car open all day? They're like, yeah, it's fine. This isn't Chicago. I'm like, y'all are crazy. I go into my house, I lock 17 locks, boy. I'm like. <laughs> my buddy the other day came to visit. I swear, he felt so weird. I was like, no, you got to lock that one and this one. And then we came out that door. Then there was another. I was like, no, you got to unlock this and this. And then there was a screen door. I was like, that locks this way. He's like, why you got so many locks? I'm like, you don't know where you at? <laughs> I got a baby in this house now, bro. I got locks and some. Listen, the door to salvation, honestly, was locked to you. It is God's grace that unlocks the door and allows you through faith to walk through it. And when you walk through it, you got to understand, this is not of yourselves. You didn't unlock that door. You didn't earn the right to walk through that door. What does it say? Not by your works so that no one can brag about it. No one in this room could be like, well, you know, God opened the door for me because I'm awesome. God opened the door to me because of how good looking I am. God opened the door to me because, you know, I grew up in church. God opened the door to me because, you know, my dad's a pastor and his uncle was a pastor and, you know, my great-grandfather was the pope. Nobody cares. That doesn't open the door for you because no one can be good enough to open that door. No one can work hard enough to open that door. That's the reason grace matters so much because here's the thing. When you understand grace, you stop beating yourself up for not being good enough. We're all not good enough. A lot of us, we, we struggle to walk through faith because we stand at that door and we're like, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. I suck. I, and God's like, yeah, I know, bro. I unlocked the door, though. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I just, I can't, I can't. I've done too much. Yeah, I get all of it, but I unlocked it. You didn't. I got the keys. You don't. See, if you want to receive God's grace, you have to walk through faith and understand this wasn't because I earned it. That's where that humility part comes in. There's nobody in this room who deserves the grace that God has given to us. It is a gift 
given to you simply because of this. He loves you. It's the only reason. Nobody earned it. Nobody deserved it. Simply because he loves you. I remember one time I was talking to a student about small groups. And I, was, I had mentioned something and how the student was driving a leader crazy. And the student went, well, that's what they get paid for. And I got so mad, like, yo, low-key, like, really angry. I very rarely get angry. But I got so angry because I'm like, you think they get paid to be here? You think this is their job? You think every Friday night they come because they get paid? Homie, they don't get paid nothing. They use their money to do everything. They don't get a dime. And the fact that you think you deserve it because they get paid, that made me so mad. I almost threw that kid across the room. Listen, you don't, you don't deserve it. Some of you, you treat small groups like you deserve it. Like if you feel like it, you go. If you don't feel like it, you don't. Man, it is the grace of God that you get to sit in a room with other people and grow in your relationship with God. Don't start thinking you're better than other people that you can pick and choose. Some of us, we think, well, I know the Bible a lot. I'm, you know, I don't really need to go to church because I already know a lot. No, you need to be the church so you can teach people who don't know. Get off your high horse and understand what you know is simply by the grace of God. Not because, oh, yeah, I grew up in church. No, no, you happened to grow up in church. You didn't earn that right. As a matter of fact, you know what you earned? The right to teach somebody else and stop thinking you're better than other people. That's what the grace of God means, to be able to move in that grace and receive that grace. Now, it's one thing to receive it. It's another thing to live in it. So if you're taking notes, point number two is we need to learn how to be living by grace. How to be living by grace. Listen, that's... This is the idea, living by grace is the understanding that I don't get this, that I don't deserve this, that I have everything I have in my relationship with God because of his grace, and I want to live under that. Titus says it like this, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed to turn from godlessness living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Okay? What is he saying? Be grateful for the grace that you've been given. And that gratitude should result in you leaving godless living and sinful pleasures and should force you to want to live a life of wisdom, devotion, and righteousness with God. That's what it means to live by grace. To be able to say, listen... I understand that I don't deserve what he's just given me. And because I don't deserve what he has given me, I don't want to live that way anymore and take for granted what I've been given in Christ. I want to live in that grace. I want to be able to have that opportunity to say, you know what, this costs a lot. And it costs my Lord and I don't deserve it. Far be it from me to not take advantage of it. It would be like beginning of summer, Somebody worked really hard to raise up some money and pay for you to have a season pass at Great America and provide a ride for you to go. And you're just like, you know, I just don't feel like it. Like, man, just at least for a funnel cake. I remember the first time I got a season pass, me and my buddy drove right at closing just for a funnel cake. Why? Because we had the pass. Right, we might as well use it. But listen, that's what we do nowadays, right? We buy a Great America pass, we go once. We buy a gym membership, we never show up. We get a subscription to something, we never watch it. <laughs> like, we keep bringing all these things that we never take advantage of. And the problem is all those things don't matter. But when you don't take advantage of living by the grace of God, if you keep living in your sinful nature, even though you have been given the grace to come out of that, that's when it becomes an issue. When you understand grace, <clears throat> when you realize there's absolutely no reason I should have been given this opportunity, even now, when you understand how many times you've messed up and God hasn't struck you down with lightning, when you understand how many times you've messed up and God hasn't turned his back on you and shut the door, because how many know we deserve that? The times we've messed up as Christians over and over again, and the problem is we start to feel like that, and we start to pull ourselves away from God and say, I don't deserve it anymore. And God goes, no, my grace hasn't run out on you, but you're running from me. And so you need to run into grace and learn to live under it and stop beating yourself up and becoming your own God judgment. God saying, no, my grace gives you room to mess up. 
That's the thing we love about living by grace. Living by grace means we have room to mess up. We're not perfect in that grace. We have room to make mistakes. Right? I had mentioned before um, how excited I am with my daughter, and I'm thinking about all these cool things. And I'm thinking about, like, the first time she tries to walk. How many know she's going to fall down? Especially, I'm imagining she got these chubby little legs and a big head. So I just imagine she's going to be doing one of those. And she's going to try really scared to take one or two steps. And she'll freak out. She'll grab my leg or the couch and hold on. And then she'll take a few steps and then she'll fall. Now, grace is this. Yeah, you took a step. That's awesome. Oh, I'm so proud of you, sweetie. Come on. Get up. Let's do it again. Come on. Come to Poppy. Come here. Come here. Come on. That's grace. Imagine what would happen if my daughter tries to take a few steps. She falls. And I run up and I'm like, how stupid are you? You're a person. People run and you can't even walk. Can't believe I have a dumb baby. I felt bad saying that. No, Josie, you're the best. I love you. But can you imagine? And yet we do that to ourselves. We beat ourselves up. You know how sad I would be? If Josie laid there going, I'm a dumb baby. I'm supposed to walk. I'm like, no, baby, you're the best. You're the best. Come on, get up, get up. We need to learn that it's okay to fall because our father picks us up and calls us to him again. Our father doesn't walk away after we fall and go, oh, well, better, next, better luck next time, right? Our father picks us up and says, come on, sweetie. Come on, buddy. Try again. Try again. Grace lets you try again. Grace says, I can mess up over and over again. And he'll still have his arms extended and said, come to me. Come to me. The worst part is if you fall and you stay on the ground and you say, I'm never going to try to walk again. And oftentimes, because we're not willing to live in that grace, instead we want to live in that condemnation, that idea that we don't deserve it and we suck. Guess what? You, you don't deserve it. And you suck. <laughs> but God's grace is what allows you to get up and walk again. I don't know about you. I don't want to ever forget God's grace. I want to live in it. I want to understand, and trust me, I have. There's many, many times, even to this day, where I make a mistake, and I thank God that his grace allows me to try again. I thank God that his grace allows me to preach again, to show my face, to continue to live in the life that he's called me to live by. But there is a trick to that. Because there's a difference between living by grace and abusing grace. If you're taking notes, the third thing is this. We need to be careful. That we're not abusing grace. What do I mean by that? Abusing grace understands that God gives us room to mess up and mess up on purpose because, well, I can. That's abusing grace. I had a buddy one time. I let him borrow a few hundred dollars to make up rent. And, you know, he had a family. He was struggling. I was like, here, bro, here's a few hundred bucks. And then they needed glasses. I bought their glasses. I you know, felt bad for them. I had money. I was good. I said, here you go. And I ain't getting paid back yet. And I'm talking months had had by almost a year. And I'm like, yo, when is this dude? Like, I understand 20 bucks, 40 bucks. That's whatever, right? Hundreds of dollars this guy owes me. And then I'm seeing them buy new things. Y'all ever had somebody owe you money and then they buy stuff? And you're like, yo, seriously? So he's buying new things. And I'm like, um... So I was like, bro, uh, hey, uh, I'm not trying to be bogus or anything, but uh, you ever going to pay me back? You know what he said? He's like, oh, you told me I didn't have to pay you back. I know I ain't never said that. <laughs> I'm like, I never said that. Yeah, last time when you asked, I told you I didn't have it, and you were like, oh, it's cool. I'm like, yeah, then. <laughs> it's cool in the moment, not like forever. <laughs> right? When I said, hey, hey, you got the money? Oh, I don't have it right now. I was like, oh, that's cool. That meant when you have it, give it to me. Not forget about it and ignore it. Okay? What did he do? He abused my grace. He abused my openness and my love and my friendship. A lot of times, if we're not careful, we do the same thing to God. Right? We mess up and God's like, hey, that's cool. And we think that's cool means, oh, so I can keep doing this. Right? You fall into peer pressure, you smoke a joint with somebody, you try to experiment, it's like, okay, whatever, and God's like, hey, listen, 
my grace covers you, you can move on. And you're like, so I can just keep like every week? Because now I'm going to sell too because I'm, I'm short on cash. You go to a party because it's your friend's party and, and maybe you try a little sip of something and, and, you, and you take a few too many sips and you're drunk and, and you feel bad the next day. But, but that it's cool, God's grace, doesn't mean now you can start going every week and getting drunk. Hey, you messed up with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you crossed the line sexually and, and, and God's grace forgives you of that. That doesn't mean you should stay in that relationship anymore. But you think, well, God's cool with it because he hasn't punished me and so I'm going to keep doing the things I'm doing because anyway, I have grace. Now, that's not how grace works. That's how we abuse grace. And we need to be careful that we understand not to mistake God's grace for his permission. Just because he's giving you grace to mess up doesn't mean he's giving you permission to keep messing up in the way that you're doing. Okay? Room to mess up doesn't mean, you know, he gives you an inch. He's not giving you a, a foot. And so we have to be careful with that. Listen, Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 2. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? That's the question he's asking. Should we keep on sinning so that God could show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? What is he saying? Are we going to keep messing up because God keeps showing us grace? No, that's stupid. Okay? Don't do that. How can you be forgiven of sin and then decide to still live in that? How can you be set free from a cage and then decide to move back into the cage? God saying, listen, no, I, I set you free, not so that you have the freedom to keep on sinning, but so that you have the freedom to not sin anymore. Goes on to say in verse 14 and 16 of that chapter, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So let me pause right there to explain that. Uh, again, in the Old Testament, uh, this idea of the law, they were very strict. There was a hundred or even more rules that they had to follow, dumb rules that if you would look at, you're like, that's impossible to follow. And that was the point of the law, to point out how impossible it is to live a righteous life. That's why we need grace. And so what he's saying is, listen, because of Jesus, you no longer have to live by the law because he's fulfilled the law. Now you live by the grace that he has given you to have that relationship with Christ. And so he goes on to say, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Every day you're making a choice on who your master is going to be. Just because you came to an altar one time and said yes to Jesus doesn't mean that the rest of your life is going to be lived righteously. Every day you're making the decision on who your master is going to be. And he's clear on saying it. Don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey, not what you say, what you obey is who you become a slave to. You obey your sinful lust, that's your master. You obey bad habits, those are your master. You obey your sinful actions, that is who your master is. See, we sing these songs like God is Lord, but Lord means master. And if he's not Lord of all, then he's not your Lord at all. And oftentimes we think because we have grace, because he hasn't immediately punished you, hey, I can just keep going the way I'm going. I can just keep doing the way I'm doing because nothing's happened. And I'm not telling you this out of not understanding. I've been there. In those moments where I was really scared to try to do something because I grew up never doing a lot of things. And then I try it and then I'm like, oh, nothing bad happened. No one found out. Maybe I can do a little more. And I can do a little more. I've said this to you before, but when I worked at Target, I would be a, a, an HR manager and we would do the orientations. And one of the things we told the employees, particularly the cashiers, we told them, don't steal. Because there are cameras everywhere, especially at the register. They can zoom in and see the date of a quarter in the register. Like, don't do it. Now, from their perspective, from the loss prevention perspective, every time somebody stole something, whether it was like an iPod or money from the cash register, one girl one time just grabbed $1,500 and put it in her pocket, they never stop you. 
They didn't go and stop right at the door and were like, hey, we saw you take the money. They don't go and, and frisk you. They never stop you. You know why? Because they know. They know if we let you do it once, you'll come back and you'll do it again. And we want you to do it again. Because now we're watching you. And now we're keeping a record of everything you do. And by the second or third time that you do it, now we grab you, we call the police, and we have enough evidence to convict you to the full extent of the law. Listen, just because God lets you get away with something doesn't mean he's not watching you and keeping track of things. Doesn't mean he turned a blind eye to the life that you're living. He is giving you room to turn back. But eventually judgment will come. Eventually, you will have to stand before God and answer for the life that you live, that 2 Corinthians tells us. We need to be careful that we don't abuse the grace that God has given us. That we don't take advantage of the fact that God loves you enough that he gave you room to mess up. Going back to my daughter, I gave her room to walk. That doesn't mean she can walk out of my house. Right? I gave her room to walk. That doesn't mean she can run into traffic just because she can run. Because of my love for her, I have parameters around her life. I have rules that I say not to punish her, but to keep her from getting herself into danger or worse. God doesn't put these things in your life because he wants you to have a bad time, because he wants you to be boring. He does it out of protection of his own children to say, listen, you may want to run around in the street because you think it's fun. I don't want a car hitting you, so I'm keeping you over here next to me. Does that make sense? We need to be careful that in our Christian walk, we don't start abusing God's love and grace for us simply because nothing bad happened. And the last thing is this. We receive grace. We live under grace. We're careful not to abuse grace. But how quick are you to give grace? We need to understand that God didn't give you so that you can keep for yourselves. We need to learn to take on the attitude of Christ when it comes to giving grace. Well, what do I mean by that? Some of you are so easily set off, it's not even funny. The quickest thing triggers you. The quickest thing makes you upset. Even in church. Ah, well, I came once and nobody said hi to me. So? Sorry. Oh, now I'm never going to church again. Well, that's a dumb thing to do. I thought you came for God, not so people could say hi to you. Well, church should be a loving place. It should be. It's not always. I'm sorry. They're all people in this room. We all make mistakes. But why don't you give people grace for that? Why don't you understand, you know what, maybe they were a little busy. Sometimes we all, oh, well, Pastor Joy didn't say anything. Well, Pastor Joy's got stuff going on too. I remember I had a buddy of mine. He was doing a, a rehearsal for a wedding. And, and he's doing the whole thing, and he's kind of spacing out. And the bride was already being a bridezilla and being kind of crazy. And she decided to snap on him in front of everybody. Hey, are you even here? Come on, why don't you wake up? What she didn't know was right before he got there, he found his wife on the bathroom floor covered in blood because she had a miscarriage a few months into their pregnancy. He was trying to keep a straight face and still do his job. You don't always know what other people are going through. Sometimes we look, oh, she has such an attitude. Maybe there's a reason why an attitude built up in that person. You don't know their life. You don't know what they've gone through. You don't know how they had to be. Oh, he's so off-putting. He never, never wants to talk. Maybe there's a reason he doesn't talk. Maybe no one's ever let him speak. Maybe he's not used to having someone wanting to listen to him. Why don't you give people grace? Here's one of my favorite ones. In church... We give all the grace in the world to somebody new. They can come in high as a kite, half naked, and we're, hey, man, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Hey, there's a place for you. And that's right. I agree with that. But let somebody who's grown up in church mess up once, and the whole church can turn their back on them. We forget to give grace to that person. I've often told my wife, I think it's harder to maintain an A than to earn an A. And church, we need to be better at giving grace and room for people to mess up here. To say, hey, listen, man, this, you're new. You don't get everything. You know, it's fine. Like, I'll laugh sometimes after a service. People will come up to me like, bro, that was an effing great sermon. And I kind of chuckle in my head. I was like, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> Why am I? I'm not going to sit there like, oh, hey, dude, don't swear. 
This kid's new. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> I want to give him grace. And the same thing, it makes me laugh because sometimes I'll sit down with somebody that I have to counsel through something and, and walk them through. And they are freaking out like they're sitting in front of the principal and they're super nervous and, and they're like, ugh. Because they know one, they did something. And I know what they did. And so we talk about it. And I love the fact that they'll look at me and they're like, so you're not mad? Well, why am I going to be mad? <laughs> this is your issue with God. I'm not mad. Like, tell me you punch cease. Then we, I'm mad. There's a whole other. Then grace ran out. And I'm sorry, I'm not Jesus. That's another scenario. <laughs> but you messed up. Okay, we all do. And it's been a number of times where people will look at me and go, I'm surprised that you're treating me this way. You know what's one of the most powerful things in the world? When somebody expects you to utterly hate them and turn them away and what they receive is grace and love. They almost don't know how to act. It throws them so off because they're fully expecting you to completely kick them out of their lives. And when you turn around and say, hey, let me get a hug. Hey, listen, don't even worry about it. It's cool. Why do we do that? Because God did the same thing to us. Because God looked at us and said, hey, listen, you know what? Don't even worry about it. I know your heart. I know you didn't mean to. I know you want to get better. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good to building up as fits the occasion that you may give grace to those who hear. Our words give a lot of grace to people. What you say to people when they mess up matters. That's why I talk about like even with the, the kids thing. You ever notice with little kids, uh, I saw this one kid one time, they trip, hit their head on the stove, hit their head on a chair, and then on the floor. It like bounced like seven times. And I, in my head I was like, oh my God. But you know what I said out loud? Yay. Oh, wow, safe. <laughs> like I was just, you're awesome. And I swear, the kid looked at me and was like, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, I hope you're not concussed. <laughs> Why? Because words matter. What you say, because here's the first thing the kid did. The kid looked at me. The kid looked to see my reaction. And based on my reaction was going to be his emotions. Same thing with my wife. I loved it. My wife hates to be publicly embarrassed. So she could fall down in the house and it's hilarious. She laughs. <laughs> One time uh, I was in the kitchen. And she used to love, when we were dating, she used to love to run full speed and jump and bounce off me. Because she's like, he's so big. So she would run and just body slam against me and then bounce off. And she would giggle. She thought it was so funny. So one time I was in the kitchen. I was walking straight. And I didn't notice her running behind me. And right when she jumped, I turned this way left. And she flew into a pile of bottled waters and just completely fell. Her back's all twisted. I'm like, oh, my gosh, are you okay? And she's literally lying there laughing. But when she does something outside in public, and y'all have been there, right? When you fall in public, what's the first thing you do? You look to see if anybody saw you fall down. Y'all ain't lying. Everybody does. You fall, you're like, if nobody saw you, you're like, oh, man, that sucked. <laughs> Right? But if somebody sees you, you can start to cry. You turn around. You're like, oh, my God. Why? Because the pain of people's reactions is worse than what you actually did. So what would happen if you publicly mess up spiritually? If you make a mistake, because we all do, and the church, instead of gossiping about you, instead of talking about you, instead of whispering, did you hear what so-and-so said, instead of having a tea party, Decided, hey, man, I saw that you messed up. I've been there before. I want you to know, dude, it's, it's okay to be embarrassed. I know this is a lot of emotions, but I want you to know I don't think of you any differently than before that happened. To give people permission. Because here's the thing. A lot of times we know God's grace. We're not worried about that. We're worried about your grace. We're worried about you not accepting us. People stop coming to excel, not because they think God stopped loving them, but because they think you did. Because they think you don't want them in the room anymore. And we need to understand, it's not enough to believe that. People need to hear it when they walk through the door. Because grace is a powerful tool when we are self-condemning to ourselves.
Does that make sense? Worship team, if you can help me out. We were singing a song a little bit earlier. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That verse is based off of a song written by a man named John Newton. I had the opportunity with my wife a number of years ago to go to a Broadway play based on that man and the history of that song. And it's an interesting story. John Newton uh, was a captain of a slave ship. His business was going to Africa, picking up slaves, and then selling them in various parts of North America. He was a drunk. He had bitterness towards God because of the death of his mother. He had all these emotions going on. John Newton was a very angry, bitter little man. And when you watch the show, they do a great job of showing all those things. But the one interesting part was they never sing the song. They play the melody, but they never sing the song throughout the entirety of the show until the very end. See, there's this moment in John Newton's life where he comes clashing with God. And he's in the midst of this crazy storm. And he goes to the front of the ship and he has one of those just having it out with God moments. I don't know if you've all ever been there where it's just like you and God and you are just, you're letting it out. And he's just going after it and he's letting it all out. And he understands, I'm just broken, bitter, lonely guy. And I need you. And it was in that moment he was ready to die. And he wakes up the next morning, ship's wrecked, he's still alive. And he begins to write this song down. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. John Newton actually got saved after that, became a pastor, was one of the leading uh, men to change and outlaw slavery in the UK because he had an encounter with God's grace and it changed him forever. The cool thing about the show, like I mentioned, is they didn't sing the song the whole time until the very end. Right at the end, the melody's playing and the one actor who plays John Newton steps on stage and he hits that first note and I instantly begin to cry. Like right there in my seat, I am sobbing, like arms shaking, crying. And I kid you not, it wasn't because the play was so good. It was in that moment that I was instantly overwhelmed at the thought of God's grace. It took over me completely. And then I remember the Holy Spirit speak to me and said, Joey, what do you normally do in this situation? And I said, God, I worship you. And then God, almost in like in my mind, just went, so you're going to do it? And I'm thinking, God, I'm in a Broadway theater house. This isn't church. But I knew I needed to trust and obey my God. So I got up, and I lifted my hands, and I began to worship. And I heard this little girl behind me. She was like, Mommy, Mommy, why is he lifting up his hands? And I just remember thinking, God, I pray she gets to understand the grace that I am understanding in this moment right now. Stand with me. You know, at the end of that worship session, I looked down because I was in the front balcony. And I saw hundreds of people in the main seats standing with their hands lifted up worshiping God in the middle of downtown Chicago in a Broadway theater house. Why? Because God's grace has no limitations. Because God's grace doesn't matter when and where it's able to come in. So here's how we're going to close tonight. I'm going to invite you to join me up here, everybody. And I want us to take just maybe five minutes. I know we're running a little bit behind time, but I want to take five minutes. And I want you to take a moment and really experience the grace of God. I want you to take a moment. Maybe you need to take inventory of your life. Maybe you need to look and understand. God, I, I'm just even right now thinking about how many times you should have turned your back on me. And yet, God, you still showed me grace. And here's all I'm asking. When you really see God's grace, just respond 
the way you would normally respond, the way I responded when I experienced God's grace. Just begin to worship him and love him. But listen, before you do, take that moment. Take that moment to understand, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to, to have this microphone. I don't deserve to be in this room. I don't deserve to be able to do the things you let me do, God. But I'm grateful that you let me do it anyways. So as the worship team begins to sing, come on, would you just come out of your seat? Would you join me all across this room at this altar? Can we just begin to experience the grace of God together? Can we just begin to glorify him? Can we just begin to worship him? Come on. The word says that he gives grace to the humble. So here's how we're going to close out. Now that you're up here, I'm going to ask you right where you're at. Would you just go to your knees? The Bible talks about kneeling is symbolic of humility. It's bowing down. And right where you're at at your knees, just take the next couple of minutes. And would you just begin to thank God for his grace? Would you just begin to give God glory? Would you just come on within your own lips? Begin to talk to the Lord. Begin to express your heart. Maybe you want to give him specific reasons. Come on, just begin to talk to the Lord. Humble yourselves before God. Admit it. I, I, I don't deserve this, God. I'm not good enough to have this, God. There's nothing in me that should receive the very gift that you want to give me. But, God, I, I need you in my life more today than ever before. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you, Lord, for your grace, God. We just thank you that, God, your grace is greater than anything, Lord, and that <clears throat> you can uh, that you forgive us for everything, Lord God, and that even when we're angry, Lord God, you still say we could find peace, Lord, and that even when we feel broken, God, you could still say we, be, we can be renewed, yeah. and that even, God, when we feel so defeated, you still say we could be victorious, Lord God. God, we just thank you, Lord, for your grace because we've never done anything to earn it and we can never do anything to earn it, Lord God. Yes. And we just thank you, God, that you still love us even when we mess up, Lord God. No matter what we do, Lord God, you still say you love us and you still say we're forgiven, Lord God. And I just pray, Lord God, that everyone here can understand how powerful your grace is, Lord God, and that we can even get, be able to give grace to others, Lord and that God will never forget the things you've done for us, Lord God, and that we'll continue to grow in you. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord, amen. 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 Listen, as you uh, stand to your feet, before you head out, can you do me a favor? Just find two or three people, guys with guys, girls with girls, and just, just let them know, hey, man, I love you. I'm glad you were here tonight, and I, I hope to see you tomorrow at small groups. Just find two or three people. Let them know how much you appreciate them, how much you love them. God bless you. We'll see you at small groups tomorrow.